0: Thanks for checking out the Renew Life Church podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that today's message encourages you. Awesome. How you guys doing? Good. Everybody awake? Yeah. Good. Good. Man, you're a good looking church. <laughs> look around at yourselves. Go ahead. Take a look. Okay, you don't seem that convinced. <laughs> Yeah, take my word for it. You look good. Um, we've got some resources out there uh at the table. I think we're out of these, but um, my first book, Do What Jesus Did, uh, we've been really blessed. It's an international bestseller. Thank you, Europe, for that. <laughs> and um the premise of the book is Jesus didn't come to show us what uh what uh, he could do. He came to show us what we could do. And then there's a workbook that goes with that, that just equips you in doing it, activates you in it. None of us need any more information on healing. We just need to activate it. If we just start doing it, it'll start happening. That's that's the bottom line, really. And then uh, Do Greater Things is my latest book that just came out January 1st. And that book is, um, is uh, sort of the part two of, of that uh, book, and in there, there's a story of where I was in Sierra Leone, and, and uh, we started having these real bad rains that came, and we had no place to meet, and so we went to the imam and asked him if we could use the mosque to do a training and uh, bring people to Christ in it and do a training on healing, and he was like, are you crazy? Do you, like, have a death wish? And we were like, no, and he told us no, and then we asked again, and I came back, and I said, don't you want to get these people in your mosque? And he's like, yeah, I do. And I'm like, here's your chance. Let us in, and they'll come in. And so he did, much to my surprise, let me say. And uh, we did get circled, a bunch of guys with clubs beating on the outside, but they quickly stopped because the imam jumped up and said, no, Jesus is healing people in this place. Get out of here. And so when uh, we gave a call to uh, accept Christ. Everybody but the imam accepted Christ. But he said, you've given me a lot to think about. He goes, I'm going to really think about it, inviting Jesus into my heart. So anyway, it's really cool. And the thing is, you can do all that same stuff. Who wants to go with me? Let's do it. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter uh, 5. We also have these out there. These are made by Afghan um, widows uh, in Afghanistan, and it's in Farsi, it says God is good, which is not a phrase that uh, Muslims use, they use the phrase uh, Allah Akbar, which is God is great, which means more like terrifying and powerful, and uh, so these widows sewing by hand God is good over and over and over again as a promise to them as they make that, and so anything donated that comes in for that, we will, we'll go straight to them and help them out, um, if you're interested in that. Somebody took a Luke out of my Bible. There it is. Okay. So, now when, um, how many of you grew up in Sunday school, catechism classes, any stuff like that? You grew up in this? Ten of you? Cool. That's, I grew up, my parents were missionaries, so I grew up in church my whole life. Um, and by the way, my wife is with me on this trip. I always love having her along. And... Uh, and my, my sister and my niece uh, came to visit here, too. And so they're, they're with us from San Angelo. And it's always good to see uh, Dean and Kendi, these are dear friends, and love these guys, really appreciate them. And I want to thank you as a church because uh, my last trip to Afghanistan was in December, and I would not have been able to go if it wasn't for this church. Amen. You guys got behind it. Your pastors got behind it and nearly completely funded the whole trip. And I want to thank you. And all the Afghans uh, that we were training and hitting the streets together where, where they wanted to thank you, too. It really meant a lot to them. So thank you so much. You probably weren't even aware you did that, did you? <laughs> now you are. So Luke 5. Um, uh, I, uh, there we go. Okay. I was going to go. Uh, uh, Luke 5. Um, you know, when, when you grow up hearing the stories over and over, you sort of become inoculated to the power of the surprise of the story. Right? All of a sudden, the surprise of the story is, like, you may remember a thing called flannel graph. Anybody remember flannel graph? Do you not know what flannel graph is? Flannel graph was these, it was these cartoon characters that had, uh, like, corduroy material on the back, and it stuck the, the flannel board. And they would it was made out of paper. And, and so when and they would tell the stories from that, let me translate for all the millennials in the room, veggie tales. <laughs> that was my generation's veggie tales, Okay. And so they would tell the stories about it. Our, now, my parents also, I pastored in the hood, you know, uh, for 17 years, which is what Braden was talking about. And, and my parents also did. And so ours was donated, our flannel graph was donated for First Baptist Church down the street. So ours was a little tattered, a little torn. So I grew up thinking Peter was an amputee. Um, so First Baptist Chattahoochee donated their flannel graph to us. And so we didn't have the best flannel graph in the world. I was shocked to find out that Peter was not an amputee. But anyway, so uh, because, because we grew up hearing those stories, we forget what it was like to live this in a real account and real experience. And so uh, Luke, this, for instance, this book is being written about 75, 85 years after all this has happened. And so how many of you ladies know men skip details? If you're a woman and you didn't raise your hand, you don't know men because on the back of our man card if you flip that baby over it says must skip details especially with wife if you want to keep this thing because we we just do. So I want you to give me grace to fill in the blanks that possibly Luke left out. Will you do that? Will you do that? Cool. Three of you. Again, thank you. Those are the representatives <laughs> of the whole. So, here so here's what we're going to take a look at this at this passage. Now, anybody who does public speaking knows that if you are if you don't have a sound system and you have a big crowd, you got to get distance from your crowd in order to project, okay? Otherwise, they can't hear you. If they're too close, people absorb sound. Jesus is trying to get farther away from his crowd, so he's trying to back off you know, to, in order for them to hear him. He can't go any further without getting wet. So he looks over. Peter and his crew have been fishing how long, based on what we know of the text? All night. How many fish have they caught? zero, no fish. How many of you know fishermen without fish are not nice people? Fishermen like to catch fish, and if they don't have them, they're not happy. So they haven't, they haven't caught any fish, and Jesus is, turns to Peter, and and he, you know, wants to borrow his boat. I think the scene may have looked something like this. Peter's with his crew, they're cleaning the next, and he's like, get seaweed out of those nets. Are those seashells? Get those out of there. Is that a bicycle tire? Get it out of there. Get that Coke can out of there. I can't believe people are throwing their garbage in this lake. Don't they know we have to fish in this lake? I got to go home. I got to talk to the wife. She's going to say, where's the money? Where's the fish? I'm going to say, we don't have anybody. We don't have any fish. And my mother-in-law lives with us. She's going to say, I told you you should have married Barnabas. He's an accountant. He's bringing home a paycheck. I hate this job. Luke doesn't say any of that. (laughs) Ladies, men skip details, remember? Okay, stay with that. About that time, Jesus steps over to Peter, and he goes, Hey, Peter, would you lend me your boat? I imagine Peter looks at him and says, you know what? You can have this stupid boat. I hate these boats. I hate these nets. I hate this job. Right now, I want to chop it up and sell it as firewood. If eBay was here, I'd sell it there for five bucks, but it's not here yet. Yes, please take the boat. And Jesus is like, dude, I only want to borrow your boat. <laughs> and he's like, yes, please take it. So Jesus takes it. He gets in the boat, pushes out from the shore Starts wrapping up his message right about the time Peter and his crew get their nets perfectly clean. They're hanging them up to dry in the nice warm Middle Eastern sun. They're grabbing their lunch pails. They're heading home to go sleep and come back and do it again all over again the next night. As they're walking past Jesus, Jesus wraps up his message and says, Hey, Peter, I've got an idea. Let's go fishing. I didn't even read from the text to give you context to actually what it says here. So you're like, well, that's in the Bible. That's amazing right now. (laughs) It's close. Stick with me. We'll project it at some point. All of a sudden, he says, let's go fishing. Do you realize this is a crazy idea? Now, Peter, I can imagine Peter stopping and saying, I'm sorry. You're obviously not from around here. This is the Middle East. Maybe you haven't heard, but fish are cold-blooded creatures. And so whenever the sun's up, have you noticed that yellow disc in the sky? It's not here in Midland yesterday, but it was here this morning when we showed up. Have you noticed that yellow di- That's called the sun. When that is up, fish get as far away from that thing as possible. You obviously know nothing about fishing. You should go build an armoire. But then Jesus, Peter says, but because you say so, we will. Remember that. Crew back in the boat. Come on, guys. Let's get back in the boat. Come on. Let's go back out there. Let's, let's go back in the boat. And, let's, and they're like, no, Peter. We're tired. We need to go rest so we can come back and do it all over again. No, we are not getting back in the boat with you. That's crazy. There's no fish out there, Peter. Are you serious? And he's like, "Please go. maybe he'll give us a tip or something, something to get my mother-in-law off my back. Please get in the boat!" He coaxes them in the boat, and as they start to row out, what about all the other fishermen crews at shore?" And they see them rowing out, and they're like, "Hey, Peter, what are you doing? Are you going fishing?" They're like, hey, look at Crazy Peter. He thinks there's fish out there. And Peter's like, no, I don't. (laughs) I really don't. And they're like, hey, Crazy Peter, (laughs) as he does the row of shame out to the middle of the lake. He finally gets out in the middle of the lake. and And he stops and he goes, all right, you want to know a fishing demonstration? You want to see what fishing looks like? He goes, let me show one to you. You take the nets that are wet and heavy and would normally be light and dry and you throw them over the side of the boat and you wait for fish to come, which may I point out are not there. We proved that all night last night. You better give me a tip. And then Jesus looks and says, Peter, I know what's wrong. You see, you have your net on the wrong side of the boat. (laughs) It's simple. If you would pick your net up from this side of the boat and you would put it over on that side of the boat, (laughs) you catch fish. And Peter's like, really? Really? Jesus, let me get this straight. You really think six, eight feet over, lying under the brim of the water, there are fish under there going, They have their net on the wrong side of the boat. They think we're over there, but we're over here. They'll never know. Trust me, Jesus, that's not happening. But because you say so, we will. The crew's like, No, Peter, don't you do it. Don't do it. All the other fishermen crews are back at shore watching. Don't do it, Peter. We will be the laughing stock. No, don't. He goes, They're laughing already. Let's just get it over with. They pick their nets up and they start walking over, and the crew's back at shore are like, Hey, Peter. What are you doing? Are you really taking fishing tips from the carpenter that thinks he's a rabbi? "Hey, look at crazy Peter. He thinks there's fish on the other side of the boat, and Peter's like, "Please don't laugh. I really don't. I don't." And then he throws the net over and he goes, "See, I told you there's no." Fish! We got fish! Pull the nets up. The nets are full of fish. They pull them up. They drop them in the boat. Throw it over again. They throw it over again. It fills up again. He's like, pull them up. They pull them up. Drop it in the boat again. They're filling the boat full of fish. He can throw it over again. He's like, oh. they were under there all night on the other side of the boat. And Peter realizes he's got another boat back short. and he's like, Hey, get that boat out here. We got fish. <laughs> Not that side. <laughs> Put them on the other side. Put an X on it. That's where we fish from from here on out. And then all the other crews are like, Hey, crazy Peter's right. Get the nets, get the boat. Let's get out there. This is a crazy story. This story makes no sense. No sense whatsoever. The Bible says both boats, so filled with fish, sinking the entire way back to shore, barely make it there. And then it hits Peter. The difference isn't in the technique. Peter's like, I'm a professional fisherman. I know my trade. I know how to catch fish. The difference wasn't in that. The difference was the presence in the boat. The presence in the boat made all the difference. Peter gets back to shore. He jumps out of the boat, and the Bible says he drops to his knees. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, you need to go away from me. Clearly, you're a good close to somebody as bad as me. Jesus, the best thing you could do right now is get as far away from a guy like me as possible. You hang around me, I'll disappoint you. I pretty much disappoint everybody. Yeah, Jesus, you just need to go. You need to go right now. Jesus looked at Peter, and he goes, oh, Peter, you don't get it. You've been chasing minnows your entire life. I didn't make you to catch fish, Peter. I made you to catch people. And you've spent your whole life chasing minnows. You see, when Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, would you lend me your boat? That boat represented Peter's life. And Jesus was saying to Peter, you let me put my presence on your life and we'll catch far more than you can ever catch. I just need my presence on you. What Jesus says next to Peter is not spectacular. He says, Hey Peter, follow me. Follow me. Have you ever noticed there's not much of a pitch in that? Salespeople aren't studying that to figure out how to get more sales. You know what I mean? Follow me, that's it. And yet Peter abandons the boats, the nets. Of fish to follow Jesus. Peter had probably been crying out to God all night long the night before for those fish, and the scripture says he abandons them and walks away from them to follow Jesus. Matthew, tax collector, probably with a table filled with money. And Jesus says, hey, Matthew, follow me. And Bible says Matthew forsakes his table to follow Jesus. Can you guys imagine them walking past their family members? I'm sorry, where are you going? Following him. To do what? He didn't say. For how long? He didn't say that either. Then why are you doing this? Because everything inside of me says... I have to have that presence on my boat. No matter what happens to me, I have to have that presence on this boat. Nothing else matters. Nothing. Jesus is looking at us and saying, will you lend me your boat at work? Will you lend me your boat at school? Will you lend me your boat in your neighborhood? Will you lend me your boat in the grocery store? All my friends, if we would just put him on display, the whole world would see how desperate they are for him. We pray for the sick. When We share the good news of who he is. That's what we're doing. We're putting Jesus on display for everyone to see they want him. One day in our church, I was, would preach a message. I would have to preach a message every year, a two-part message on sex and explain what sex is. Sex, sum it up, it's God's blessing on marriage. The best sex is always in marriage. Sex outside of marriage is not the best, and it's not the best for our lives. It's not what God planned for us, and so God wants the best for us. Got biblical definition of 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 marriage between a man and a woman. Anything outside of that, it's not God's design. It's not what He plans because He wants the best for His creation. He loves us, and He wants to enjoy us to enjoy life. So this guy, who's the second top guy in the Latin Kings, which is the largest gang in our city, um, his street name is Hitler. His girlfriend who had been coming to our church, she hears that message and she comes home to Hitler and she goes, I'm not having sex with you anymore because Robbie said (laughs) sex outside of marriage is sin and it breaks God's heart. She goes, "And I'm not going to break God's heart. You can imagine how he responded. Tears started flowing down from his face. This warm feeling came over him. He lifted his head and looked into the light and said, I love Robbie. What a great man of God. Sort of my fantasy of how he responded, and that's not how he responded. He looks at her, and he goes, you go tell that preacher that if he doesn't take it back, I'm coming to church next Sunday, and she, he said, I'm going to bring a gun, and if he doesn't get up and say he's wrong and take it back, I'm sitting on the front row, I'll get up, and I'll pop him in the head in front of the whole church if he doesn't say he's wrong. She calls me on the phone crying, and she goes, Robbie, you know Hitler will do it. She goes, don't get up. You can't get up and preach part two. She goes, the best thing for you to do is have Carlos Lopez, the worship pastor, him get up and him preach it instead. And I'm like, that's your plan? I'm like, no, we're not gonna. She goes, Well, he came out of the gang, so you know, he'll he'll be more, maybe more compassionate. I'm like, no, we're not doing it. I said, he's not even gonna show Kind of preparing together. And Carlos comes running upstairs. He was just finished the sound check and he bursts in my office and he's like, dude. That's sort of like saying pastor in our circle. He's like, dude. He's like, Hitler just walked in the door downstairs and he's strapping. And I said, You saw the gun? And he goes, Yeah, it's right up under the back of his search. I said, You saw the gun. And he's like, Yes. And he goes, he's sitting right up on the second row. And I was like, oh, man. I said, well, tell the girl who's supposed to do announcements. She's not doing announcements. I'm doing worship. And he goes, I think you should do worship, too. And I was like, no, you're doing worship. I'm doing announcements and preaching. And so we got up uh, to, to do service. And I got—I wish I could say I was bold and confident. I would be lying. I got up, and I was like, welcome to the vineyard we're so happy to have all of you here today and glad everyone. And people in the go, back are going, oh, look, the Holy Spirit's all over, Robbie. <laughs> More, Lord. It's just so beautiful. And I'm moving really fast. I'm like, coffee and donuts here, children's ministry here, bathrooms here. Man, it looked like a Wimbledon match. I was like, I ain't gonna make it easy if he's gonna try to take a shot. And I finished part two with a recap on part one, didn't change a word. And when I got to the end of the message, but the whole time he was just sitting there with his head cocked to the side like this, and I kept moving here and here and here and here and here and here. And his, his eyes never move. His head never moves. He's just like this the whole time. I get to the end, and I was starting to wrap up, and I keep noticing that. And then we did one more song, and then went into some uh, prophetic words and ministry for people, and... And then all of a sudden, I just saw him go. And he looks down, and he's like, and he gets up, and he slips out, and he leaves. I called her later that afternoon, and I said, hey, did he come home? She goes, yeah. And I said, what happened? And She goes, well, what happened there? Because she didn't come because she was scared. And he says she, says, she goes, I don't know. He just walked in, and he said, that place is crazy. I'm never going back there ever again. <laughs> and I was like, well, did he say anything else? She goes, no. She goes, what happened? I said, no, he just sat there. Didn't do anything. Several weeks after that, the Chicago Police Department, along with the Aurora Police Department, did a big sting, and they arrested 24 of the top Latin King leaders throughout the Chicago land. Hitler was the number one guy they were after. We got a picture for you if you have that. That's on the front of the Chicago Tribune. And uh, right here where the stripe comes down to this guy's eyes, that's Hitler. And so uh, his brother, his street name is Pistol Pete. And he goes to our church. He's a drug dealer. And I went to him, and I said, hey, I want to come meet with Hitler. And he goes, Robbie, he doesn't want to talk to you. And I said, I said tell him I said, tell him I want to come see him in jail. And he goes, well, I can't pass you a know, message to him. They're on lockdown. They're in isolation. I said, I said, dude, don't lie to me. Tell him, tell him you're coming. I'm coming on Thursday. And he said, okay, I will. And so I went there, and I showed up, and when I came in, He had the orange jumpsuit on, his hands were cuffed, his legs were shackled. I've never seen anybody so angry in my entire life. And he comes in, and as soon as he walks into the room we're meeting, and he goes, what do you want? And I said, I want to talk to you. And he goes, well, I got a question for you. And I said, what's that? And he goes, what did you do to me that day I came to your church? And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, I was going to pop you in the head in front of the whole church. And he goes, as soon as I sat in that seat, I was frozen and I couldn't move. He goes, did you hex me? And I was like, hex? No, I didn't hex you. And he goes, why did that happen to me? And I said, because that was God keeping you from doing something stupid. I said, Hitler, I said, you don't understand. I said, God has this amazing plan for your life. He has this amazing objective for your life. I said, but imagine this is the life that you've built for yourself, and you thought it was the best life. It was a life of dealing and slinging and doing all this criminal activity and and murder and all this stuff. And I said, you thought this was the best. But now you're looking at it, and you're going, it's all jacked up and twisted and broken. And it's not working for you, and it's landed you here in this prison. And I said, but imagine this is a life that Jesus came to give you. And I said, Hitler, it's the best life. It's the life you were born for. And Jesus is saying, here, let's do a deal. I'll take the jacked up, twisted life, and I'll give you the life you were always born to live. And I said, Hitler, will you consider the deal that Jesus is putting on the table for you today? And he shoves away from the table, and he goes, that deal's not for me. He goes, that deal's for people like you and Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. He said, six murders. He goes, Robbie, they don't know the half of how many people I've killed. He later confessed to me that he killed 18 people. He said, Robbie, I've strapped men down in their cars. I've taped their wrists to the steering wheels of their car. And I lit them on fire and and soaked them with gas. And he goes, I looked through the window and I laughed at them as they pleaded and begged me for their lives. And they breathed their last breath. And he goes, I've gone too far. That deal, it's not for me. I said, oh, Hitler, I said, you don't understand the way Jesus works. I said, this is called the Bible. We call this the holy word of God. And I said, Hitler, I said, you need to understand this portion of the Bible. It's called the New Testament. I said, Hitler, we read this as the very word of God, a murderer. He was murdering Jesus' very own people. And Jesus chose him to write what we call the holy word of God. I said, oh, Hitler, don't you see the deal? It's still on the table. And with that, he dropped his head and he burst into tears and he said, I'll take the deal. And right there we prayed and I saw this hard, cold murderer weeping and giving his life to Jesus. And when we were done praying, he lifted his head and he rolls his shoulders and this huge smile came across his face. And I later told his brother about this and his brother looked at me and he goes, you saw Hitler cry? And I said, yeah. He said, Robbie, I've never seen my brother cry. He said, even when he was six years old, and I'd watch my stepdad beat him till he was half dead, I never saw him shed one tear. He said, Robbie, the only time I ever saw him laugh is when he was torturing somebody. And he goes, you saw Hitler cry. And I said, oh, you're going to love this. I said, after he prayed, he lifted his head, he began to giggle, and he began to laugh like a little child and roll his shoulders, and he goes, it's gone, it's gone, it's all gone. And I looked at him, and I said, what's gone? He says, all the anger, the hatred, the rage. He goes, it's like a big rock that was on my back, and it snapped off my shoulders as soon as I said that prayer. He goes, it's all gone. I can't believe it's all gone. About that time, the guard comes up, and he goes, all right, time to go back to your cell. Hitler jumps up, and he goes, yes, sir, and the guard's like, whoa, whoa. And he looks at me and I was like, I would go back week after week and I would go through the Bible. I had to buy him a children's picture Bible because Hitler could barely read. And he would sit there and he would look at these little cartoon pictures in the children's picture Bibles. We would talk about doing what Jesus says no matter what. No matter what, if we understand it, it makes sense to us. He's God. We're not. We do what he says. He's smarter than we are. And that's what we follow. It doesn't have to make sense to us. And we would talk about that and look at this, and he would just study these little pictures as we would go over. And I would just disciple him week after week. Finally, after several months, Hitler lifts his head from his little children's Bible, and he goes, Robbie. And I said, yeah. And he goes, I got to get my story out. I said, what do you mean, Hitler? He goes, Robbie. People don't know how far Jesus will go for them. He goes, Robbie, I don't think anybody's telling them how far he'll go for them. And I said, Hitler, I love you, man. But if you get your story out, that could get you the needle. Or that could get you popped by the kings. And I said, bro, I don't want you to die. You know what he said to me? He held up that little children's picture Bible and he said, you told me they all died for this. He said, you told me this was worth giving everything for. Now you're trying to tell me I should try to save my own skin. He said, Robbie, the past few months in this stinking rotten prison have been the best months of my life. If they took me out today, it would be worth every one. And he goes, Robbie, people don't know how far Jesus will go. And he said, I don't believe anyone is telling them. And I said, oh, dude, you get it. Oh, that we, the church, would get it the way Hitler gets it. Will you lend them your boat? Will you lend them your boat when it can mean your life? We lend him your boat when it can mean your reputation, when people will laugh and mock you. We lend him your boat when you go to pray for something and it doesn't happen. And you make the decision that it's not about the results for me, the results are for him. The results I need is just to say, because you say so, I will, no matter what the outcome is, just simply because you say so. My friends, that boat representing Peter's life was also a prophetic picture that would be fulfilled just like those fish coming into those nets that day at the sound of the presence being on the boat. It was a prophetic picture that would be fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost when the presence filled the boats of the disciples and they stood up and thousands came running at the sound the presence on their boats, just like those fish into those nets. The hope of this area is not in some other move that will come. The hope of this area is sitting in your seat right now. Christ in you is the hope of this community. Please stand. I've gone over. I apologize. Father, I pray that your power and your presence would fall in this place. And we would die to the fear of what others think of us. And we would live to the pleasure of a king who laid his life down for us. And we would use that as the example to be set in our own life. And just put everything before you. Holy Spirit, fill these boats. Everyone in this room right now, fill them, consume them, permeate every part of their beings. And let us in boldness take courage and put Jesus on display. is not the job of the Sunday morning service or the home groups to make the call of salvation. It is the job of every individual that is in this room right now. You are God's plan of salvation, Christ in you. To See everyone you come in contact with transformed. In Jesus name Amen. Wow Amen. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at renewlifechurch.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Also, our app is available for download so that you can stay up to date again, we are so glad you joined us. If you're in the Midland Odessa area, we invite you to come be our guest at one of our services. Have a great day and we hope to see you soon.